How fun is this seating layout here, people? Really at the center of attention. I just think, uh, just a real quick thank you. I'm going to do a few thank yous a bit later, but um, thank you for that video, guys. Uh, we didn't know anything about that, and uh, thank you so much, Jan. I'm sure you had a lot to do with it, wherever you are. You've moved over there, you there. Gary and the team, thank you so much. You can feel a little bit insecure when everybody's so excited about you leaving. <laughs> I mean, they, it's like, do we really, I mean, can we not just come back next week and do the same again, you know? Prayer meetings, all this attention, but we do, we are incredibly grateful, and thank you for, for uh, partnering with what Jesus is doing. We're trusting that this is a, this is a gospel adventure for Jesus' sake, not for our sake. We want to be out of the way as best as we can. Sure. Can I have my first slide there, Zoe? What moves you, Glenridge? Let's take a moment. Ponder on that question. I'm sure Raymond in his mind's right now thinking, well, maybe it's the plane, maybe it's my feet. Kind of true, kind of true. Is it your car? No. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Seriously, just even if you want to close your eyes for a moment, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you to do what you do? The weekend, maybe, just working for that weekend, going out and having fun, relaxing. Perhaps it's your career. Maybe that's the thing that drives you, that moves you. Maybe it's your family, your kids, wanting them to fly, to have it better than you did. If we're being honest, maybe it's money. This need to be well off, to be financially secure and stable, Maybe it's a person, a loved one. Maybe that's the thing that drives you, that moves you. The affirmation of another, the comfort of someone. For me, growing up in Richards Bay, I grew up in Mirensia, beautiful suburb right near the beach. And for me, it was the ocean. I was a bodyboarder. I loved surfing, riding waves, getting the best barrel of your life. For many years, it was this. It was being moved by the next session, the next wave, the next good swell. It woke me up well before sunrise, which often meant waking up my parents before sunrise to get a lift down to the beach. We'd go down to the beach before school, just every opportunity we had. And then sitting at school at break time, watching to see which way the wind was going to blow, whether or not we would be able to get a session in the afternoon. It preoccupied me completely. It moved my world and my life. Soon I was in Durban and I was studying. And bodyboarding was replaced by architecture. It literally controlled my life. We were indoctrinated. I don't know if there are any students here of architecture or I know there's a couple of architects here, but Literally from day one, they will say to you in your first lecture, all the professors, they'll say to you, this will be your identity. Architecture will be the thing that moves you. It will be your whole life. Your whole life. Those were their words. My relationships, 
the hours I spent or I slept, or rather the hours I didn't sleep, what I spent my money on, thanks, Zach, what I spent my money on, what I thought about, what I believed, were all directed by this beautiful, controlling master. Architecture was the thing that moved me. Every one of us, every one of us, is born with this desire to find purpose, to find significance. We have been designed to create, and we have been designed and created with intent to participate and contribute to a bigger story. But yet, we often don't get beyond ourselves. Dare I say, even as believers, we get stuck with looking after our own desires. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God creates man with reason. Yet Adam and Eve get tripped up moments later with the purpose of themselves and what was good for them. The story of Adam and Eve doesn't go well beyond this point. They went from walking in absolute freedom with the Father to running and hiding, trying to find some alternative way of satisfying this deficiency. Having to work the ground being removed from paradise. You see, even in my story, my life seemed great on the outside. Whether it was succeeding competitively at bodyboarding or at university, coming at the top of my class, there was still an emptiness inside of my heart where somewhere inside I couldn't fix that thing, that all of this could not satisfy. Right back in the garden, God creates all of mankind with the express purpose of being a mirror of being a reflector, an image bearer of Him. You're sitting here today and you have intent and significant purpose over your life. Every one of you seated here. Whether you've heard that or not, maybe you have and you've forgotten. But there is significant purpose over your life, but not for your own end, but for Jesus. To bear his image, to tell the story of what we know and have experienced of him and have seen of this incredible loving father. If I can have the next slide. I've used this before, but I felt so apt to use it again. It's a painting by Rene Magritte, quite profound in the art world because of the story and the statement that it makes. And in French there it says, this is not a pipe. Now you might say, well, Graham, that certainly looks like a pipe, but actually it's a series of pieces of light that make up a picture that represent a pipe. I asked a friend of mine, I won't name any names, but uh, who owns a pipe, happens to be American and married to an American. But this is the pup. This is a pup. This is a pup. That is a painting. That's a picture of a pup. You see, we are meant to likewise be a masterpiece, an illustration, a storyteller of a loving and kind father, a masterpiece of Jesus' story. You see, Jesus is the one, not us. 
We're to forever be telling and moving in response to what Jesus has done for us. It should be the love of Jesus that moves us. It should be the goodness, the grace that moves us. It should be His absolute mercy that moves us. It should be His discipline, the inheritance that He has for us, the power and the sacrifice of Jesus that moves us to live our lives. If I can have the next slide. 2 5 14 is a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 14, that has gripped me for many, many years as I have stumbled upon it. And it's these five words, if I can have the next slide, that sum this up. It's for Christ's love that moves us, compels us, controls us, governs us, other translations would say. You see, we are all called. We are all called. If I can have my next slide, we are all called. Every one of us. You might be seated here today, maybe just ticking a box. It's Sunday, I need to go and do that thing. There is intent and purpose upon your life to live for Him. Jesus called the disciples again and again, as He does to you. He says, come and follow me. There's only one or two occasions in the scriptures where we see Jesus sitting and lecturing and teaching, almost as in a classroom setting. The rest of the story is him saying, come, let me show you the Father. Come with me, follow me, do what I am doing, be with me, do what I am doing. And they left their businesses, their families to respond to what God was saying to them. They left everything, everything. You see, we're a pilgrim people, a pilgrim people. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, Doug and Sheena are not here today, they're on pilgrimage right now. But if you've ever had the, travel, the privilege of traveling with Doug and Sheena for any length of time, you'll know a couple things. And when they tell you to pack light for a journey and you arrive at the meeting point with a regular bag packed for a two-week trip off into the distant land, and they arrive with a grade R school bag of their clothes, you know you didn't get the same memo. We're a pilgrim people, meant to travel light. Luke 10 in the message, Jesus says, pack light. He says, only a comb and a toothbrush, no extra baggage. You see, our home, as pilgrim people, is not even Cincinnati. It's heaven. That's our citizenship. But trust me, on Friday, going through customs, I won't be saying that. I might be running back here asking Stan for my job back. We're a pilgrim people. Glenridge, you are called to the nations. You're called, as we sang that beautiful song this morning, to go to your neighbors and to travel to the nations. Every one of you are called. There is a purpose upon your life, 
and the people that have yet to hear of His goodness, of His love, of His kindness, are waiting for you. Hebrews 11, as we've been doing this incredible series on faith, in case you were wondering, the big sign. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. If you take a moment to ponder on that thought, climbing on, your, in, on a plane, on a, jumping in a car and heading off, knowing that Jesus is calling you, but not even knowing the destination. I love Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not us trying to appease and service our own desires and our own ambitions. Not looking for things to move us for the sake of ourselves. Verse 9 says, Not by works that no one can boast. But then again, this phrase, masterpiece, comes to the forefront. Next slide. Verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, purpose, intent upon your life, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has crafted you together, carved you and created you to co-labor with what He is doing. Glenridge, will you let Him move you? Will you let Him move you? Will you let Him move you and shape you? Will you let Him mold you and transform you? Each and every morning, will you let Him move you each day and each weekend? Will you let Him move you across the province or down the road? Move you across the sea to participate in the great story that he is scripting and writing today because of his great love. I'm going to hand over to Emmy, and then I'll jump up a few minutes at the end. been such an amazing morning. Um, just walking in, driving here even. Um, the tears already started rolling silently in the car. I just looked out the window. Um, this has been the most beautiful home for me. Such a special place. And to sit and look at the red, white, and blue. Um, oh, Please just know that I really love you, and I'm so grateful for this house. But I'm going to pull myself together. And what I want to do this morning <clears throat> is just to sow um, a seed into your hearts of the invitation from God that he is extending to us to partner with him in what he is already busy doing. Um, this is not just our family but it's each and every one of us. Graham has already spoken about this. So I'll speak a little bit about, about our journey, but, and I don't want you walking away thinking about us. I actually, um, I want you walking away thinking about Jesus. 
and the hand he's extending to you saying, come, run with me. And I think these are very exciting times. And I'm going to just go ahead and jump straight into John 11. I love that we sang the song this morning um, of being called out of the tomb and running out of the grave, um, because that's what we are going to look at this morning in John 11. I'm going to meander around a little bit. We might find our way back in John 12. Um, but hopefully, we will land in what I believe um, we actually need to be con contending for in our lives and in our time. So I'm just going to set the scene quickly. This is John 11. Um, Lazarus dies. And many of the, Jew the Jews from Jerusalem go to comfort Mary and Martha, who are his sisters. And Jesus arrives four days later to this huge crowd that's gathered. They're all mourning together. And we see the shortest verse in the Bible, if anyone wants a little trivia, um, the shortest verse is Jesus wept. He's had compassion on them. He loved Lazarus. Um, and I think he actually knew what he was going to do. And so he, he now instructs the, um, he instructs the people to roll the stone away where Lazarus had been laid. And there's a little bit of a comical moment because Mary's like, I don't think you really want to do that because he's been gone for four days now. So it's going to be a very fresh aroma coming out of that tomb. But Jesus responds with a prayer, and he says, Father, thank you that you always hear me. And then he says, um, Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus literally gets up, and he walks out, still wrapped in his grave clothes. Um, and Jesus instructs the people around him, unwrap him and let him go. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up reading. Um, this is in John 11, verse 45. So it says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and they said, what are we going to do? What are we doing? For this man performs many miraculous signs and wonders. If we let him go on like this, Another translation says, if we let him carry on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, two things happened. Um, many of the people who witnessed what had happened began to believe in Jesus. And the second thing that happened is, um, I love this, the, the Pharisees actually began to plot a conspiracy to kill him, but I love what they say here. If we let him carry on like this, everyone will begin to believe in him. And I read that actually a few weeks ago, and I thought, I, I actually, I want to let Jesus carry on like that in my life. I want to let Jesus loose. I want to let him loose in my life. I want to let him loose in America so that everyone who would witness what he is doing in my life would begin to believe in him. So, and I love the word, we don't want to contain that there's a wrecking ball and, he's, and God is actually bashing the damn walls because he is not meant to be contained. I do not want to contain Jesus or restrain him in this pretty little package that makes me feel comfortable. I don't want to bind him up in my limited skill set, or even my limited expectations of what I think he's actually capable of accomplishing, not just in my own life,
put his hand of mercy in the world throughout history. And so my prayer over this time has come out of Habakkuk 3.2. And it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them, revive them in our day. In our time, make them known. So it's powerful, it's a powerful prayer. And I want my faith to rise. I want my expectation to grow, to let Jesus loose in my life with the immeasurably more that he is truly capable of accomplishing in our time. So I never had a desire to move back to America. Um, South Africa really, I mean, it's really become my home. I love this place. The boundary lines for me have fallen in very pleasant places here. And I thank you for that, Glenridge, because you actually have played such a crucial role in me feeling like I belong and that this is home. Um, thank you for welcoming me in as one of your own these past 15 years. So at the beginning of last year when Graham started talking about, I mean, he's actually been speaking about this for the last like four years, but I've been completely unwilling to engage, to engage him on it. Um, the stirring he was feeling in his heart, and I'm like, you're, not, you're actually not hearing from God on this at all. Yeah. Um, so when that stirring at the beginning of last year started becoming an urgency, I thought, I really need to get before the Lord on this. But I was still holding out hope that he was, couldn't possibly be hearing clearly from the Lord. And I started saying, why would God ever want us to leave this place? Why would he ever want us to go? Leave these amazing relationships, this incredible church, this lovely family sitting over there. These are beautiful boundaries that you've established for me, Lord. This is my promised land. Hashtag, I'm staying. Um, but if there's one thing I've learned, it's this. God is totally unpredictable, but he is good and he is faithful. And so whenever you're feeling completely and totally out of your depth, totally beyond what you think you're capable of, totally beyond your comfort zone, and totally beyond your ability to, to actually even be able to see how are we going to get from point A to point B, and you start saying things like, Surely not, Lord. How could we possibly do that? Where, where would we even begin? That's when you know that you are treading on the edge of a real faith opportunity. And we are presented with these faith opportunities every day, big ones, small ones, in the workplace, in the classroom. I'm going to have to start saying classroom now. In the shopping centers, in the parking lots, no longer car parks. But how often is our faith actually based on our own ability? And we think that our faith is um, resting in what we're actually capable of accomplishing on our own, which actually, that's not actually faith. That's just being a capable person, which isn't a bad thing. It's good to be capable people. Um, but faith is what we need to actually start operating and functioning in areas that are beyond our natural ability. And we have to start relying on his ability to accomplish something beyond ourselves. So if we let Jesus loose, 
What is he able to do in our lives? Well, Ephesians 3.20 says this. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his work that is, sorry, his power that is at work within us. So faith is easy, right? I'm not going to lie to you. When I fix my eyes on leaving South Africa, it is absolutely devastating and it is heart-wrenching. And when I fix my eyes on going to America, it is completely terrifying because the grass is not greener on the other side. I am acutely aware of what awaits us when we land. The evils, the hurdles, just the political and the cultural climate. But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, moving countries really isn't a big deal. And when I look at all of these things through the eyes of faith and with the lens of spiritual possibility, I think this could actually be the most extraordinary time that ever existed to be involved in what God is doing through his church. And I believe South Africa has a huge role to play in what's going to happen. We are leaps and bounds ahead of the church in America on so many levels, spiritual understanding, the depth and freedom of worship. I mean, I was soaking up every minute. I was like, I'm desperate for the loop, but I don't want to miss a moment in this space. Just the flow of the life of God here, the radical activation of the priesthood of all believers, what God is doing in our time is resting on the shoulders of all of us, of all believers, the church, the called out ones. It's not just for a few. God is not just raising up gifts in the church who are operating. But I really believe, it seems to me, that God is raising up a priesthood. And that's you and me and the other 2.2 billion people on planet Earth who call themselves Christians. He is raising us up to be operating in the gifts, walking by faith, and letting Jesus loose in our lives because we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can all rest at ease because regardless of our strengths or our weaknesses, nothing truly worthwhile is going to happen unless God is in it and God is on it. And God is looking for men and women who want him to do it who are contending for him to do it in our time. So Glenridge, I'm speaking specifically to you. If you call this place home, if the people around you, you call your family, let Jesus loose. Let Jesus loose in your lives. I mean, do you even realize what you carry being part of this house? Chris Benant, who planted Glenridge years ago, he said this about five years ago. He said, churches across the globe are watching you and taking their cue from Glenridge. You are an example to the world because of what you carry and who you are and whose you are. And you had better realize that because there is much, requi much required of those to whom much has been entrusted. And there is so much more that God actually has in store for you. And I'm so sad that we're not going to be a part of that every week, um, week in and week out. You have been blessed so that you can be a blessing, not just to each other, not just to Durban, not just to South Africa, but to the nations of the world. And we are counting on you to come and visit us 
or plant with us, um, and to minister to the people that God is going to be bringing. And we are trusting to actually bring teams of people back here so they can experience the life of God in this place, the freedom and the radical authenticity of Glenridge. So what happens when we let Jesus loose in our life, in our church, in our culture? Spiritual awakening. That's what happens. So the seed I've been wanting to sow into your hearts this morning is the invitation for spiritual awakening in each of us as we partner with God here on earth and we let him loose in our lives. To let him loose in our culture, to let him loose in our church, we have to first let him loose in our lives. So spiritual awakening, awakening first starts in us. Um, I'm going to hit you with a progression of ours um, from John Tyson um, that I'm hoping will lead us to um, what we really need to truly contend um, for in our time. So it starts with regeneration. So when you get saved, it's like your personal revival. God brings you from death to life. The old is gone, the new has come. God calls you by name like Lazarus. You come running out of that grave. Come out. You are spiritually dead, but now you are alive in Christ. But in order to walk freely, the grave clothes need to be removed. And that moment of regeneration becomes a process of restoration. And restoration is when God brings back the things that were lost. When God restores and repairs your life, brokenness is restored into wholeness. Restoration, in my experience, um, really only seems to be possible when it's done in community. So when Lazarus is raised from the dead, Jesus doesn't say, Lazarus, come out and sort out those clothes. Take off those rags you're wearing. Jesus instructs the people who are around him, the community around Lazarus. He says, unbind him and remove those grave clothes from him. So that's why when you get saved, God adds you too to family, to the body of Christ, to the priesthood of all believers. He never, he never isolates. He only adds to. And I think he does this because restoration is virtually impossible in isolation. We need each other. And discipleship is key in the process of restoration. I've been reading a book with some friends recently and, um, about discipleship, and the author says, we need to stick to new believers like a peel on an orange. Um, and it's because we actually need to protect them and help them and walk freely into the, the new life that they have. We can remove those grave clothes so they can walk fully into what God has for them, which is reformation. And I'm not speaking about the reformation of church history. This is the reformation in our own lives and in our own hearts. When you become aware of your old way of life and the old way you used to do things, and you feel this tug and you actually feel this desire to walk in the Spirit. You reform the way you live and the way you do things, and you start experiencing and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You put away the things of the flesh, and you put on the things of Christ. And one of our Glenridge values is radical obedience. So there's a lot of spiritual maturity and growth that happens here. And having friends who can hold you accountable to your new life and spur you on to living freely and fully 
in Christ. Those are key. You want to have a Shadrach, a Meshach, and an Abednego who can run into the fires of life with you and say, it doesn't matter what, we will still believe. To hold up the shield of faith so that together you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, if enough of this is happening on a personal level in the people around us, it leads to having an impact on a corporate level, which takes us to renewal. Renewal, when, so when believers start experiencing personal reformation, what I've just spoken about, they actually begin to create a culture of renewal through the work of the Holy Spirit that's in them. And what God is doing in them on a personal level, it actually starts to overflow and impact on the people around them. Hope is accelerated. Hunger is tangible. There's a dynamic that's, um, that's in your midst that's far beyond like human momentum or just a charismatic preacher um, or even just a created environment with the lights dimmed or whatever. It is a legitimate work of God. There's fresh energy and hunger on the things that are on God's heart. And John Tyson, who, um, these are his R's, he's a pastor in a church in New York City called Church of the City, and he says the American church is on the cusp of renewal. So they're on the, the brink of renewal. And I was listening to that, and I, and I just went back on his description of what renewal was to him, accelerated hope, tangible hunger, the flow and impact of the Holy Spirit going from a personal level to a corporate level, a legitimate work of God, and I thought, so that's like, that's like an average Sunday for us here. Like, that's just normal Christian life here at Glenridge in South Africa. And it makes me so excited because that's where we are, South Africa. We're there already. We're already there, which means that we are actually on the cusp of revival. Jonathan Edwards says that revival is an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. So salvation that would normally take 20 years happens in two months. In the book of Acts, it says thousands were added to their number daily. I mean, can we even imagine that? We would double by tomorrow if that happened. And we're singing, we're singing about revival, but I really believe that revival is too small a thing. We cannot just settle for revival. Revival actually mostly only affects the church. It happens in the church and often just stays within the walls of the church affecting and impacting only us, the believers. There's so much more. So what happens when revival spills out of the church? It spills out of these four walls. Spiritual awakening. And that is when God transforms the culture. When what God does in the church, it spills out into the world, and the world is transformed because of it. We cannot be settling for revival. We've got to be going after awakening. Awakening only comes when there's need for it, and you don't need to look too far to see that we are 
we are in absolute moral decline and desperate need for God to move. But don't be discouraged when you look around and you see what's happening. You drive to church or you drive down the road and you just see these billboards that are just speaking death over the country, over the world, all the crazy things that Americans are doing. Don't be discouraged when you see that. These are incredibly exciting and hopeful times. We need to contend unashamedly for spiritual awakening, awakening in our land and in our world. We want to see God move miraculously in our time. We want to see him transform the individual. We want to see him transform our church. And we want to see him transform our culture. Which is why I think this could actually be the most extraordinary time that ever existed to be involved in what God is doing through his church. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them, revive them in our day, in our time, make them known. So jumping back into our story, I'm going to wrap up with this. We've now moved kind of into chapter 12 of John. This is verse 17. This is what it says here. It says, The crowd that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard what Jesus had done, went out to meet him. So they began to believe in Jesus, and this is what happens next. They actually usher him into Jerusalem, waving their palm fronds. They usher him in, in as king, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All hail King Jesus. Because they had heard what Jesus had done in Lazarus' life, they got to meet him, they got to experience him, and the life he brings for themselves. Because those who had witnessed it, told them about it and they spread the word and I love this so the Pharisees who were trying to stop Jesus in chapter 11 um, with what he was doing these are their last words this is verse 18 they say this is getting us nowhere look how the whole world has gone after him so friends let's lay down our lives let's get on our knees Let's let Jesus loose and let's contend for him to do it again and immeasurably more so that the world would go after him in our time. So just really quickly, um, a thanks and then a charge. So a couple of thank yous. To our family here in Durban, our biological family, mom and dad, thank you for all your time and your energy, uh, for what you have surrendered for me and for us, and the price that you have paid for us so that we can walk into what we have. Uh, Mandy and Kev and uh, the girls, just thank you so much for loving us so beautifully and so generously. We love you guys deeply, and know this is not goodbye as with everyone, but until we see you soon. To this bride that Taryn was talking so beautifully about, this priceless community that is Glenridge. To the, the fathers and the mothers, the brothers and the sisters, and the sons and daughters, thank you. Thank you for everything you have poured into us, 
Thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for shaping us and transforming us into being more like Christ. To this eldership team, this brave, courageous, faithful, and true eldership team, we love you all and so are so, so grateful for you all. We celebrate today as we, as we depart, as we leave, because we are watching this team and this church forge ahead into the new and the greatest inheritances that it's ever seen or experienced, into spaces and land and successes like never before, like never before. As it navigates and surges healthier and stronger than ever before. Glory to glory. And as Emmy has said over a few times in the last little while, our boundaries are not going from here to Cincinnati, but instead our boundary lines are extending and they are enlarging, enlarging. And what that means is that your boundaries enlarge. Your land increases as does ours. And so as Emma's already said, we are waiting, we're holding our breath for your visit, your phone call, your partnership. Because this is not goodbye, but until we see you in the nations. And so our prayer for you comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And it's a charge. And I don't know if you mind standing for this. I feel there's significance here. Just as I read this over you. Verse 14 of chapter 3. Please just respond as you will. If you want to surrender your hearts, open your hands. But it goes like this, and you would have read it before. It says, For this reason I, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, we pray, the Tedders pray, that you being rooted and established in the love of Christ may have power together with all the saints to grasp, have a revelation of how wide and long and high and deep this love of Christ is. And to know this love, to have a revelation of this love that surpasses our knowledge and understanding, that you may be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Amen. Wonderful.
So we are kind of this train behind them. So actually, we're going to depict that. We're going to kind of pray for you, and we're going to let you to walk out, and we're going to trust that the veil, the, the train of God's glory would stay here, would be here as you leave. It would be a blessing to us, not just to you. But before we do that, so I would love the Tedders to come here. It's one thing to know that the Tedder family, Graham, M, and the kids, and we're so going to miss the dancing. We're so have, nice to have the girls and the, the dance uh, kind of item happening this morning because Everly and uh, Veronica are, are very good dancers in the front here. We're going to miss those little ballet shoes and all those things as they look up to the older girls and try to do the moves that they do. But um, well, the price is not just paid by them. It's paid by the extended family. And Keith and Muriel, why don't you come here as well, please. But what's amazing is that you release them, Keith and Miriam release them to go to the States, and Rick and Lynn Albrecht are just hallelujah. But uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing picture from one parents, one set of parents to the other set of parents. And I feel like there's something in that for you. God is, God is not, He's releasing you into another set, another set of hands that God is going to do something profound with you. But if you guys wouldn't mind just standing here, and uh, I really want to take the moment to honor Keith and Muriel, and uh, all that they've done, they spent some time with us at Glenwood when we were there as well. Come this side, Muriel. And uh, it really has been amazing to get to know you guys, and we thank you for this. I know it's difficult, but the Bible says if you release, if you give away sons, daughters, brothers, if you leave them for the sake of the gospel, you get in this day 30, 60, 100 fold return. And my prayer is your relationships, your finances, everything, there'd be a 30, 60, 100 fold return for you and your family, for Mandy and, the, and their family as well, and Kevin over there. So I'd love, I'd love all those that have been in the Tedder home group. If you've been in a Tedder home group, I'd love you to come around us. We're going to pray for them. If the eldership team, and some of the leaders as well, we're just going to gather around here in the, in the middle. So if you guys can just stand here. And we're going to release you. We're going to bless you. And anybody else that would like to come forward, just, just gather around them. Right, right, uh, Will, come this side and just stand here and just get around them. Drew, everybody just... So really, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing. And can I ask you, if you've got anything prophetic stirring in your hearts? Isn't this amazing, eh? All these people and from their home group. And if you've got anything prophetic stirring in your hearts, um, get it to them or get it to Glenridge. Hello at glenridge.org.za. Just so we can pass it on and they can leave with a prophetic intent and a and a sense of encouragement of what God's wanting to do there. But Father, we thank you for them. Thank you for the gift that they've been to us. 
Thank you for the gift they're going to be to those people on the other side of the ocean. Thank you for the hours of prayer, the thousands of prayer meetings, the thousands of cups of coffee that have been made by their hands in this church, in their home, the meals, their time, their effort, their energy. We just say thank you for them, Lord. And we release them now under the power of your spirit, Lord God, to go and do what they're called to do. As we continue to pray for them and continue to trust for what you have for them. I pray, Lord God, there'd be a special anointing over them right now. A gift of your Holy Spirit to empower them for what you have for them, Lord. Bless the Tedder family, Lord. Bless Graham. Bless M. Bless Hudson, Lord God. Bless Everly. And bless Veronica, Lord God. Let them find friends. Let them walk into exactly what you have for them, Lord God. Let them plant a vibrant, life-filled, Jesus-centered, going church, Lord God. Multiplying church. That would plant many other churches and send many people to the nations of the world, Lord. We thank you for that. We bless them. In your incredible, incredible name. Amen. 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 So I don't know what to do, but perhaps you guys can walk out there as we're all standing. And we're just going to put our hands together and say thank you to you and all these things. And then what you're going to do, friends, is we're going to get around them, love on them. There's sweets. There's ice creams. There's a big lot of happening outside that side. If some of the leaders could hand out, the, take the jars of sweets and hand them out, uh, that would be wonderful. But let's just, let's just raise our hands, and I'd love you guys just to walk out in line with that picture.